From the stuff your mother never told you to the stuff your doctor never learned, On Health is what happens when a midwife plus a Yale-trained MD shares about all things women's health, from periods to menopause, sex to reproductive health politics, motherhood to mental health. Join me for taboo-busting conversations that demystify and destigmatize our bodies, all while bridging the gap between conventional medicine and wellness. Along the way, we'll be exploring the science and wisdom of how our bodies work, what makes us well, what gets in the way, and how we can live our best lives on our terms. When it comes to women's health and well-being, there's nothing we won't talk about. The new medicine for women is here. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to my exciting new feature of On Health, Your Questions Answered. It's a spinoff of my super popular live Q&A sessions on Instagram that I've been doing for several years now. Today, I'll be reading and weaving the questions together so they form a narrative that gives you a deep insight into thyroid health. Now, because this is such a comprehensive topic, it's almost like a mini mastermind that I'm going to be giving you in this episode on your thyroid questions answered. I'm actually breaking it up into two parts to make it really easy for you to digest, not feel like you have to sit and listen to the whole thing all at once. Of course, you're always welcome to hit pause on my podcast and come back later. All right, here we go. Thyroid, your questions answered. So why thyroid today? Because about one in eight women will experience a thyroid problem in her lifetime. And of those who do suffer from a thyroid condition, at least 80% are women. And thyroid issues can have a significant impact on both our health and our well-being. From low mood and low energy to poor sleep, to weight and metabolism problems, to hormone fertility and menopause symptoms and problems, to long and short-term cognitive problems like brain fog all the way to dementia, and even bone health and heart disease. It's one of the top conditions for which women are likely to be dismissed by their doctor as just stress in our heads or normal, as in your postpartum, so of course you're tired, or for which women may actually be insulted as one of my patients was, who was fat shamed by her doctor after gaining 30 pounds in three months when she hadn't done anything differently. He told her that if she just controlled her fork to her mouth problem, she'd not have gained all that weight and she'd be able to lose it. Let's just say that's all kinds of wrong. And I'll be talking about medical gaslighting and medical misogyny in an upcoming episode. And let me add, about all of this, that the lab test that I ran on that particular patient revealed that she had florid Hashimoto's, and that's why she'd gained the weight. Also, thyroid problems are one of the conditions that's really hard to get your questions answered about, because on the one hand, conventional medicine is really dismissive, and on the other, the functional medicine world profoundly overdiagnosis thyroid problems. And many providers in that camp will even put women on thyroid medication to help with weight loss, energy, and mood, even when there's no detectable thyroid problem. Some don't even test for thyroid problems before they do that. That's not good medicine. Take my patient Lil, for example. She came to me because she was profoundly exhausted, just dragging tired all the time. And she was only just around 30. 
She was on thyroid medication because she had been to an integrative functional medicine doctor who told her that she had a thyroid problem. Actually, what he did was wave some kind of electronic wand over her neck. This is not a legitimate medical device or medical practice and told her on the basis of that, that she had a thyroid problem and that's why she was so tired and put her on medication. Fast forward two years later when she landed in my office and I went back through all of her history of labs, asked her if she'd be willing to put a pause on her thyroid medication for a minute so we could get some new labs. And guess what? Her thyroid function had been and was totally fine. She was suffering from severe iron deficiency anemia that was affecting her mood, her cognitive function, and her energy. And once we started her on a treatment for iron deficiency anemia, she felt better, didn't have a thyroid problem, and didn't need thyroid medication. And that's just one of many examples of these kinds of situations that I've seen in my medical practice and encountered from women everywhere I travel, teach, and speak. And finally, and this is really important, I've seen so many women turning themselves inside out, restricting this food and that food, taking that supplement and doing everything under the sun because they've read online that going dairy-free, gluten-free, legume-free, grain-free, taking this supplement, taking that supplement can really make a difference in their thyroid. And sometimes it can. But for a lot of women, they just end up over-restricting, not necessarily getting better, and taking handfuls of supplements that aren't making a difference. So it's important to me that you get the information you need and also information that you can trust. So today, I'm answering the real-life questions that were sent to me by women like you, and I'm going to go and do a deep dive on thyroid health and hopefully dispel some myths while providing some helpful guidance and a dose of empowerment that you've got this should you need it now or later. This episode is not meant to replace medical care, but it does help you figure out how to know if you have thyroid symptoms. And I talk about how to get your provider on your side to help you get the answers and treatment you need if you do have a thyroid problem. So let's start with a thyroid overview because one question I got is Dr. Rom. I know this is basic, but what is the thyroid anyway? So I always, first of all, say no question is too basic. So I love when these foundational questions get asked because it's so often that women sit in a group and they don't know the basics, but feel silly asking. So starting with a 101, if you were to take your fingers and make a little bow tie shape out of your index finger and thumb on one side and index finger and thumb on the other side and join those at the middle and put them right in front of your neck. I'm actually doing this even though you can't see me because I perpetually talk and teach with my hands. If you made a little bow tie and put it right in front of your neck where your Adam's apple is, that is the location of your thyroid. Your thyroid is a gland. What a gland is, is an organ in your body that produces and releases or secretes hormones. Those hormones then either act locally on the gland or a nearby organ, or more commonly, they travel throughout your bloodstream and reach another part of their body where they do their actions. So thyroid hormone goes all around your body and it tells your cells to do the actions that thyroid hormone does. Growth, brain function, ovarian function, lots and lots of hormone functions. The thyroid gland produces 
an inactive thyroid hormone called T4 and a tiny bit of an active thyroid hormone called T3, so thyroxine and triiodothyronine. Predominantly, T4 is released, goes into your bloodstream, reaches the liver, where it's then primarily converted to this active form, T3. There are some other thyroid hormones, T1 and T2, but the primary ones that we focus on are T4 and T3, and you're going to hear more about those as we go forward through this episode together today. The thyroid's function in the body from the time we're in our mama's wombs is to control our growth and our development. So it controls growth of bone, it controls brain growth and development, and it stimulates a lot of function. So it stimulates a lot of hormone function, for example. One of its primary functions is to control how fast or how slow our metabolism goes. That is our ability to use the energy that we're extracting from our food in the form of calories. When that metabolism is speeded up or slows down, also affects things like the rate of your heart or your cognitive function or other functions in the body. So a fast functioning thyroid or a slow functioning thyroid, as you're going to learn a lot about today, you're going to walk away being like basically a thyroid expert today, is going to have a huge effect on things like your heart rate, your cognitive function, your memory, your weight, your energy in general, your sleep. It also affects our moods. If it's slow, it can cause depression or anxiety. If it's fast, it can cause anxiety and so on. So it's a really critical organ for our lifelong health. How do you know if you actually have a thyroid problem? Well, there are two ways. One is symptoms and the other is labs. So let's start with what types of thyroid problems that you can have, because that will, in keeping with everything I just told you about what the thyroid does, determine what the symptoms are. And then we'll shift over to the labs that can help you confirm or deny whether you have a thyroid problem and why these are really important. So when it comes to thyroid symptoms, let's start with the types of thyroid problems there are because that dictates which symptoms that you'll likely have. The most common types of thyroid problems are hypothyroidism and hyperthyroidism. Now there can be other thyroid problems too. For example, thyroid cancer, and thyroid nodules. I'm not going to talk about those today. Those are a very different set of concerns and topics and solutions. I'm going to focus today on hypothyroidism and hyperthyroidism. When we break those down, hypo simply means slow functioning. Hyper means fast functioning. So hypothyroidism is any time thyroid function slows down. Hyper is any time thyroid function is too fast. Hypothyroidism can be divided into several types. There's non-autoimmune, so you don't have an autoimmune disease, but your thyroid function has slowed down. That can be due to infection or illness, like people who went into the hospital for COVID, they had often had slower thyroid function. That happens all the time when we see patients in the hospital. Their body is trying to conserve energy. Remember, I said 
thyroid function keeps metabolism going. So when the body is trying to conserve energy, for example, divert that energy into healing and infection, rather than burning up calories and metabolism just to keep your day-to-day going, it'll slow you down by slowing your thyroid down. And that way, the energy that your body would be expending on other functions like fertility or metabolism or being really active in your life slows you down and that energy is diverted into allowing your body to focus on healing. Similarly, anytime you are really deeply exhausted, overwhelmed, or struggling with what are commonly called adrenal problems, so you're in burnout, you're in a lot of stress, your body is also in its brilliant infinite wisdom going to try to slow you down to help you conserve energy. I have two metaphors that I use for this. One is if you had a bank account and your bank account only let you spend so much because at some point if you were to spend more, you'd be overdrafting. So your bank account automatically stops you from spending, wouldn't that be nice, at a certain amount so that you're actually starting to save again. And once you start to build up that account, then you can have more free spending. So that's what the thyroid does. It slows down the spending on that account for a variety of different reasons. When you're stressed, when you're undernourished, when you're not getting the nutrition you need. So we see a lot of women, a lot of young women who have eating disorders who develop slow functioning thyroid because the body's saying we can't just keep burning up energy. She's not getting enough. So these are all a variety of factors that can slow thyroid function down and may lead to non-autoimmune or other types of thyroid functions. Now, I mentioned I have two metaphors. Another metaphor is when we are in energy conservation mode. So when I was a little girl in the 70s, there was a massive oil crisis. And this was when it was first told to the American public that you should turn your thermostat down to 68 and make sure that you keep your thermostat down overnight. Better to put a couple of extra covers on your blanket. The thyroid is like your body's thermostat, which is why one of the symptoms of slow functioning thyroid is that you feel cold all the time. Your hands and feet feel cold. You feel chilly. A lot of women feel this way and think it's just normal, but it's not normal to feel cold all the time. And it's usually some kind of metabolic or circulatory issue. And one of those factors can be slow functioning thyroid. So in turning down your energy expenditure, your body is literally turning down your own internal thermostat. So you're burning less energy, which means you're going to burn less calories. You're going to have less energy because you've turned it down. You're going to feel more tired. You're going to feel more chilly, cold hands and feet. Your digestion and elimination are going to slow down so you may feel constipated. Your mood may be lower. You may feel fatigued. You may feel depressed. Sometimes there can be anxiety and you want to sleep more. The most common form of all thyroid disorder and the most common form of hypothyroidism is called Hashimoto's. Sometimes it's called Hashimoto's disease. Sometimes it's called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Sometimes we just say Hashimoto's. This is an autoimmune form of hypothyroidism. So it's slow functioning thyroid and your own body's immune system is actually attacking the thyroid gland. Autoimmune conditions, for those of you who don't know what that term is, literally means your immune system is attacking itself. 
With Hashimoto's or with any number of autoimmune conditions, this can happen for a variety of reasons. Sometimes something really random happens, like you get a pretty significant viral infection and the way it shows up is that your immune system starts to attack the virus. But some of the proteins on that virus, and this can happen with bacteria too, they actually resemble tissue in your thyroid gland. And so inadvertently, your immune system starts to attack your thyroid cells, and that leads to inflammation in the thyroid cells, and some of the thyroid cells can actually die off, and they can malfunction and not produce thyroid hormone. This can also happen due to radiation exposure, certain types of environmental toxins, and also can happen due to other autoimmune conditions. So for example, and we're going to talk much more about this connection between gluten and Hashimoto's, people who have true celiac disease often also have or develop Hashimoto's. And in fact, I've seen patients who have come to me who had a diagnosis of Hashimoto's and it turned out they had celiac. And when we treated the celiac and we caught this very, very quickly, we're actually able to put the Hashimoto's into remission. When you have a condition, leaky gut, also called intestinal hyperpermeability, I actually talked about this in a recent podcast episode with my dear friend and gastroenterologist Robin Chutkin. I have a whole chapter on this in my book, Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, and also in Hormone Intelligence. There are a lot of different factors that most of us are exposed to, whether it is antibiotic overuse, use of certain medications like anti-inflammatory medications, or even some antidepressants. And these cause the lining, the razor-thin single-cell lining of the intestines to become permeable, meaning there are gaps in it that actually allow particles from your food, particularly proteins, but also particles from bacteria called lipopolysaccharides or LPSs, and other particles from other organisms in your intestinal lining like viruses, to translocate across that thin lining of the intestines and come in contact with the underlining of the intestines, which is called the GALT or gut-associated lymphoid tissue. There is more immune system in your gut than anywhere else. And when these protein particles and viral particles, bacterial particles cross over, they activate the immune system. And similarly, they can trigger the immune system to react against those proteins and in turn can accidentally start to attack the thyroid. Now, another thing can also happen, which is that these particles can actually get into the bloodstream. So the immune system becomes even more heightened. I mentioned that the immune system can start to attack the thyroid because the thyroid proteins look like proteins that they're trying to attack on these organisms like bacteria and viruses. When you do get a viral infection, some of the virus can actually get into the thyroid. So in trying to attack the virus in the thyroid cells, the immune system may also attack the thyroid and destroy some of those cells. So there's non-autoimmune hypothyroidism that can happen from fatigue, adrenal reasons, just a random infection that's not causing autoimmunity, but is affecting the thyroid. It can also happen if you're exposed to environmental factors like 
certain herbicides, pesticides, bromine, fluoride that can affect thyroid function. And then lack of nutrients that your thyroid needs can also affect it. Your thyroid needs a number of different nutrients that we're going to talk about that are really important for our health. And a lot of us aren't getting enough of, which is partly why one in eight women will ultimately have a thyroid problem. It's really a high number, y'all. And why this podcast episode is so important for all of us, for our teenage daughters, for ourselves at all stages, for our fertility, for our healthy hormones, for our healthy breastfeeding, for our healthy mood and mind and heart and bones for our entire life to know what it is that you need to get to nurture that. So we're going to circle back around to that. So there's two more forms of hypothyroidism. One is a form that can happen postpartum. And I'm going to talk just briefly in a little while about postpartum thyroid problems, but I'm going to refer you to another series of podcasts and articles that I have specifically for pregnant and new moms, because there are some special and specific considerations that are important to know. But just know that postpartum can be a time when you can have postpartum thyroiditis, and that can be either hypo or hyper, or you can have hyper that transforms into hypo. So it's a whole other situation that I talk about. The other form of hypothyroidism that's really common is called subclinical hypothyroidism. And this is really interesting. So when you get thyroid testing done, you get thyroid labs. And those labs have a very specific range to them. And I'm going to talk more about that too in just a minute. But subclinical is when you fall outside of what is considered the normal range. But for whatever reason in the universe that I can't fully explain because it seems completely nonsensical to me, doctors are actually given a discretionary range in which to look at the numbers So let's say the upper limit of normal of your TSH or thyroid stimulating hormone is 4.8. That's a typical upper limit on most labs. Labs vary just a little bit from lab to lab. So you have to look at the ranges on the lab results you get. But 4.8 is typically an upper limit for TSH. If your TSH is 5 up to 10 or even up to 20, your doctor has the discretionary right to decide whether he or she thinks that your symptoms that you're coming in with are related to your thyroid or not and decide whether to treat you, even though you're far outside the range. When that happens, and you may say to your doctor, I'm a little tired, I've been gaining weight, and your doctor looks at your TSH and says, oh, it's it's only six and the normal is just like 4.8. So that's not that much. You don't have thyroid problems or you have subclinical and we're not going to treat you, meaning you have it, but it's not enough to give you a diagnosis or for me to say you have it. Well, the reality is if you have it, you have it. And if it's causing you symptoms, you have it. And I've actually even read a medical journal. This was either New England Journal of Medicine or the Journal of the American Medical Association a few years back where they had a case history of a woman whose TSH was 15. And she had depression, anxiety, weight gain, poor sleep. She had all the symptoms. And the whole case that they were presenting was about whether or not you should 
prescribe her medication to help her with her symptoms. And the woman was in her 60s. And at the end of the case, the doctor in question did decide to give thyroid medication. But what's so insane to me about this is that we know with women in their 50s, 60s and beyond, slow functioning thyroid can be a risk factor for congestive heart failures because it slows down the heart rate and it's not pumping as effectively. And cognitive dysfunction, including dementia, but even just having cognitive dysfunction and forgetting to turn the gas off on your stove can cause you some really serious health consequences. So when people come to me and they say to me, look, I have these symptoms and I can't get my doctor to do anything. And my doctor's saying I'm subclinical. That's when it's really important to go back to your provider and say, I understand that subclinical is not normal and I'm really feeling unwell and I would like to do something about this. And we'll talk more about what to do if your doctor doesn't support you. So the primary forms of hypo or slow functioning thyroidism are non-autoimmune, autoimmune, which is Hashimoto's and subclinical. And then postpartum thyroiditis is typically non-autoimmune and it's its own category. So the symptoms of hypothyroidism, and this is for all the forms, and I'm just going to do a quick rundown over at my website at avivaram.com. Any number of my articles and podcasts on hypothyroidism will go through the symptoms. The most common ones are fatigue, depression, poor sleep. There can be anxiety. There can be weight gain, and sometimes it can be significant, 15, 20, 30, 40 pounds, and you haven't changed your diet, you haven't changed your exercise, or if you have changed your exercise, you've only slowed it down because you were already feeling so tired. Dry skin, constipation, dry hair, hair loss, and also in more advanced cases, there can be thinning or loss of the outer third of the eyebrows. There can be more symptoms as well heavy periods, skipped menstrual cycles, fertility challenges, miscarriages can be a sign of hypothyroidism, low breast milk production, postpartum depression. Hyper, when we think of somebody being hyper, we know what that means. Hyper is fast, right? It's moving fast. Hyperthyroidism can also be non-autoimmune, postpartum, or autoimmune. The most common form is autoimmune and that's called Graves' disease, G-R-A-V-E apostrophe S, not like you're in the grave. It's named after someone named Grave. And the symptoms are almost exactly the opposite. So whereas with hypothyroidism, your energy slows down, with hyper, you get really agitated. You know, you can be talking a mile a minute. You can be really, really anxious. You have incredible trouble sleeping. And this is interesting because you can become really fatigued, but it's usually because you're just not getting any sleep. I mean, you just feel like you're wide awake. In hyperthyroidism, people are just famished and they're losing weight. You can feel rapid heart rate, really agitated. Your heart is palpitating. You have trouble sitting still. You're really restless. And rather than the constipation that typically comes with hypothyroidism, in this case, you have diarrhea. And so people are often running to the bathroom a lot. So those are signs of hyperthyroidism. Now, what's really interesting is that we live in a culture that fat shames and judges people who are tired as lazy and slothy. And we reward people who are I'm not getting any sleep and I'm getting tons of work done and I'm eating and losing weight. I can eat anything I want and lose weight. And I'm like going a mile a minute, you know? And so interestingly, 
this can show up postpartum. And women are like, yeah, I don't need any sleep. And I'm like feeding the baby and I'm breastfeeding and I'm losing weight. And yet they're also struggling with postpartum anxieties. If you're feeling that way, it is also still actually important to check your thyroid. And as I talk about in my postpartum blog, that hyper in postpartum can quickly turn to hypo and you end up with slow functioning thyroid and to postpartum depression and all the things. If you are not postpartum, but you are pregnant or non-pregnant and you're experiencing any of these symptoms that I just described as hyper, it's really important to get evaluated to make sure that you're not having hyperthyroidism. So I mentioned some of the risks of hypo with bone loss, heart disease, dementia. Hyperthyroidism has some pretty significant risks too. And one of those risks is heart palpitations as a symptom. Your heart rate is beating rapidly. That can actually lead to heart arrhythmias. So your heart rhythm goes off kilter and that can be very dangerous. The weight loss can be significant. The lack of sleep can lead you to think you're feeling great because you're all hyped up on your thyroid hormone, but actually can lead to accidents, making errors at work, taking unnecessary risks. Your thyroid has to do with building your bone. When you have hyperthyroidism, you're having rapid bone turnover. It means you're losing bone. So chronic hyperthyroidism can actually lead to bone loss and even osteopenia or progress to osteoporosis. Hyperthyroidism can be caused by a number of different things. Typically, it's caused by something like a viral infection that sets it off, or interestingly, radiation exposure is one of the ways that you can get hyperthyroidism. So I have three different patients I've worked with from Eastern Europe who, when they were kids or young adults, were exposed during Chernobyl, who developed thyroid problems several of them hyperthyroidism, and it's in their family where they have Graves' disease. So what do you do if you suspect you have either hypo or hyperthyroidism? The next step is to get labs, to get thyroid testing so that you can get lab results. So let's shift to the labs that you would want to get and the tests that can confirm these and why sometimes it's easier said than done. Now, here's the question that came in. What tests should you request from your doctor if you suspect a thyroid issue and what levels are optimal? It seems to differ from practice to practice. So the first thing to know is that your thyroid produces not just the free T3 and the free T4 that I mentioned earlier, but it responds to something called TSH thyroid stimulating hormone. Now this is produced in your pituitary gland in your brain. So your hypothalamus triggers your pituitary gland in your brain, kind of behind where the third eye metaphorically is. And it produces a hormone that then travels from your brain to your thyroid gland and stimulates the thyroid to start to get active producing the hormone. So it's your brain telling your thyroid, time to produce more thyroid hormone. It does this through what's called a feedback loop. There's a negative feedback loop and a positive feedback loop. So the brain through TSH knocks on the door of the thyroid. The thyroid answers the door and says, oh, okay, we need more thyroid hormone. Let me produce some T4. The T4 then goes to the liver and gets converted to T3, which then circulates in your body. When you have enough T4 and T3 in your body, it then sends a message back to your brain that says, okay, 
We've got enough for right now. So the brain puts a little limit on how much TSH it's producing to slow down the thyroid function. When you're starting to get lower on T3 and T4, that signals your brain to produce more. It ramps up production of TSH and that sends more signal to your thyroid to produce more thyroid hormones. So the negative feedback loop is when your T3 and T4 get low and it tells your brain to produce more. The positive feedback loop is when you've got enough and it tells your brain to slow down. And this is happening in milliseconds throughout your body all day long, that your thyroid levels are being adjusted based on your need. And then there's sort of this chronic steady amount that you need. That amount goes up when you're pregnant and breastfeeding. That amount goes down when we get into our 60s and 70s and 80s. These levels and these needs change throughout our lives. Your body also produces proteins, thyroid binding globulin, that binds to the T3 and the T4 and releases it as it's needed to be active throughout the body to do the cellular functions that are needed. So when you want to have T3 released into the body or T4 released into the body, the proteins let go of it and then it becomes free T3 and free T4. So one of the hormones we check for when we're checking thyroid labs is TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. Now, when we go to medical school or nurse practitioner school or any other training to be a provider who can test and interpret labs, we're taught to only check the TSH. And we're taught that if it's in the range that's on the lab sheet in front of us that says this is normal, between here and here is normal. So between about 0.8 and 4.8 is normal that's all we check. And if it's abnormal, you're given a diagnosis either of hypo or hyperthyroidism. Hypo means you're going to have high TSH because the brain is knocking on the thyroid's door with the TSH saying time to produce more thyroid hormone. And if the thyroid isn't working, it has to produce more and more and more TSH to stimulate the thyroid. So if you have a high TSH on your lab, that means a low or slow functioning thyroid. Conversely, if your thyroid is over-functioning, it's producing too much T4 and converting too much T3, then it's going to give your brain that negative feedback loop and tell your brain to stop stimulating the thyroid so much. So in hyperthyroidism, the TSH is very low. It's below the normal range. When you go to your doctor, or your conventional healthcare provider, they're going to only check the TSH unless you ask otherwise or under a few caveats that they might check. Like if you're pregnant, you might get your T4 checked. Or if you're on thyroid medication, you might get some of these labs followed up. But even then, most doctors will still only check the TSH. And for reasons I'm going to talk about, that can be very limiting. So we check the TSH to see if the thyroid is properly being stimulated or if it's being over or understimulated by the brain. We check for T3 and T4 to see how much thyroid hormone your body is producing. And we check for free T3 and free T4 to see how much you're converting, how much active thyroid hormone you're having. Now, when I say we, I mean those of us who do more comprehensive thyroid panels. To get those tests done, you have to talk to your doctor because most conventional primary care providers will not check those. Another set of labs that I include in my thyroid panel, my comprehensive thyroid panel, are TPO antibodies 
and TG antibodies. Those stand for thyroid peroxidase and thyroglobulin. Now, antibodies are what the immune system produces. Remember earlier on, I talked about how the immune system attacks foreign proteins, foreign bacteria, and can attack your own cells. It's doing those through a variety of different chemical mediators that the immune system produces, things like natural killer cells, immunoglobulins, and antibodies. Antibodies specifically attack very targeted proteins and in doing so are attacking bacteria and viruses. TPO and TG are specific ones that attack the thyroid. TPO attacks some of the mechanisms that allow you to produce thyroid hormone. And thyroglobulin antibodies attack some of the actual structure of the thyroid. Now, there's another factor that a lot of functional and integrative doctors will check, and that's called reverse T3. And one of my Instagram followers wrote in and said, what about reverse T3? Is that important? I don't routinely check reverse T3 on all of my patients. I usually start out with TSH, free T3, free T4, and the two antibodies I mentioned, the TPO and thyroglobulin antibodies. Reverse T3 is really interesting, and you can check it. And I'm going to talk about some of the pros and cons of checking all of these versus just checking the TSH and what to do if your doctor will only check the TSH. Remember earlier, I mentioned that you can think of the thyroid a little bit like having a bank account that only lets you spend so much. And when you get to that point where you would be overdrafting, your bank account gets shut down until you build up more funds in it other than the bare essentials. Like it'll let you pay your bills, but it won't let you buy that pair of boots. You know, I am such a boots woman. I love boots. So anyway, if you have a situation where maybe you have an accountant who's saying, you know what, you can't spend on those boots right now. All you can do is pay your rent and keep the electricity on. And that's all you can do. And like buy food, all the basics. And you start to have some reserves. And rather than the minute you have a little surplus, you go and buy those boots, your accountant says, you know what, we're going to put that into a special savings account until you can actually spend. Your thyroid does the same thing. So you start to produce enough thyroid hormone, but you're not quite at the threshold where you're flush. And so your body says, I'm going to tag these T3s, this active thyroid hormone, but I'm going to tag it in a way that she can't spend it right now. It's going to be put into a special savings account. And it does that by converting that T3 into something called reverse T3. You got it, but you can't use it until you've actually saved up enough energy. That is usually something that happens when you are sick, like you have the flu or you get a mild to moderate case of COVID or you actually get full on COVID. Your body is going to say, the thyroid is working fine. She's producing thyroid hormone, but we've got to save this for now. We've got to save it over in this separate account. So I don't usually check reverse T3. I only check reverse T3 when I've checked the thyroid labs and they are normal, but somebody is still having symptoms of hypothyroidism because I'm like, the thyroid's functioning fine, but she's still having all these symptoms. Maybe she's making T3, but her cells aren't getting it because her body is socking it away as reverse T3. When I do see that, we want to really work to support and re-nourish the body, not just add on more thyroid hormone, because the body's saying, we want to reserve this energy right now, not spend it. So we want to work with the body, not against it. 
So I'm not going to give you all the levels of what's normal for thyroid labs. First of all, you wouldn't memorize it and you just feel stressed by that. So what you want to do is go over to either my book or to my website and you'll see the thyroid labs and you'll see a full explanation for what it means when thyroid labs are, let's say, TSH is normal, but free T4 is low and free T3 is low or TSH is high, TSH is low. So you don't have to memorize any of that. Also, there are some discrepancies in how thyroid labs are interpreted. And this is critical. There are two camps of how TSH is interpreted. One camp uses the standard lab range that you will see when you get your labs back, that 0.8 to 4.8 that I mentioned for TSH. But what's really interesting is that when that lab range was decided upon, it was based on picking up blood samples from a wide swath of Americans with no distinction between whether those people had or didn't have thyroid symptoms. So it's not necessarily people with healthy thyroid function. You get this wide range. Now, there's another camp of endocrinologists, people who study these thyroid hormones and other hormones, who said, but wait a minute, what if we only looked at the thyroid function of healthy people with no thyroid symptoms? And when they did that, they actually found that the range was more like 0.8 to 2.8. That's a much tighter number. And so that's why you may get your labs back and you may have something like a TSH of 3.8 and you're tired and you're gaining weight and you're not getting pregnant and you're trying and you're trying and you're trying or you're having depression and anxiety and you don't know why. Now, there's a lot of controversy around this. And most physicians in the United States are actually working on that higher range, that bigger range. So a lot of people have a thyroid problem and don't get diagnosed. Interestingly, fertility doctors, when they're working with a woman to try to optimize her fertility, if her TSH is over 2.5, she will be treated with thyroid medication because the optimal range for fertility is more like 1 to 2.5. Now, if that's optimal for fertility, it's probably optimal for our gynecologic health in general. Now, this is also interesting because, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of integrative and functional doctors will far overdiagnose thyroid problems. So you might come to a functional medicine doctor's office and not be having any thyroid symptoms. Let's say, like my patient Lil, you're just really tired and you get a thyroid test done and they say, oh, you're 2.8. Well, optimal is 2.5. That's silly. That's probably not what's causing you to feel fatigued all the time. Similarly, that's not what's causing you to gain weight or have trouble losing weight. If you're in that generally normal range and you're only having like one symptom that may be related to thyroid, chances are it's due to something else. For those of you who want to understand more about thyroid labs, particularly when you have Hashimoto's and you're getting results back that your doctor and you aren't agreeing on based on your symptoms, head over to my article on my website called The Thigh Gap. Yes, that's a joke on The Thigh Gap. If you don't know what that is, you can look it up. But The Thigh Gap, Understanding Thyroid Labs When You Have Hashimoto's, that's at my website at avivaram.com and you can stay tuned for a follow-up episode on that.
Conventionally, doctors will say if your TSH is normal, then you don't need any further testing. The problem is you can have normal TSH, but you might not be converting that T4 to T3 in your liver. So you might have low T3. Remember, T3 is the active form. So if you're producing it, but you're not converting it, or you're converting it and your body's socking it away as reverse T3, you can still have symptoms of hypothyroidism. So a lot of experts are now recommending that TSH and at least free T4 be measured. And that's really important when you're pregnant. You should have your TSH, your T4, and your free T4 because in pregnancy, T4 is the most sensitive indicator of low thyroid function. And you absolutely have to treat low thyroid function in pregnancy for baby's brain health, but also for your health, your mood, breast milk production, and all those things. There are other forms of hypothyroidism and thyroid problems that are due to dysfunction in the brain. If your hypothalamus or your pituitary are not functioning normally and not producing TSH, measuring other hormones can also help you to know whether that is central hypothyroidism or secondary hypothyroidism. When it comes to the antibodies, conventionally trained doctors also don't check those standardly. But I think they're important to check. And the reason for that is if you don't check the antibodies, you don't know whether you have autoimmune forms. And I personally feel it's important to check for the autoimmune forms because that might indicate autoimmune or immunologic dysfunction that you can address. You may also have high antibodies and that triggers you to check for something else like celiac. The other thing with checking antibodies is that somebody can have elevated antibodies and never develop a thyroid problem. However, moderate to high elevated antibodies, particularly the TPO antibodies, are more predictive, especially if they're going up, eventually developing or progressing to permanent hypothyroidism. And they're also more common in patients with subclinical hypothyroidism. So you have elevated TSH, but your doctor may say it's not elevated enough for him or her to decide to give you a diagnosis. So I feel like getting the antibodies is really informative. And they're also really informative when you're pregnant because elevated TPO antibodies in pregnancy also is a risk factor for developing postpartum thyroid problems. And if you can get ahead of that, which I talk about in that podcast and article on postpartum thyroid problems, you can really make a difference in preventing postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, low mood, fatigue, trouble losing weight, and also breast milk problems. People with Graves' disease can also have elevated antibodies. So they're important to check in both cases. Now, a lot of the medical model doesn't do testing because they say it's too expensive. And so they won't Here's a question that I had is, and there were several questions on this, so here's one that sums it up. How do I convince my doctor to do this testing? He said I didn't need it. And then he did do the TSH testing, but that's all he was willing to do. I have a lot of symptoms, and both my grandmas and many of their sisters had thyroid issues. He only wanted to prescribe me trazodone, which for those of you who don't know what that is, that's an antidepressant and sleep medication, which I didn't feel I needed and he didn't even address the issues I brought up. So this is really important. This is a case of medical gaslighting. 
where your doctor says it's depression. So let me treat that, which is a, a fine line between saying it's all in your head, right? I mean, not that depression is all in your head, but when you're being dismissed as having medical condition or medical symptoms being dismissed as depression rather than actually having depression, that's medical gaslighting. The other thing is that studies have shown that up to 15 and even up to 30% of women who are actually being treated for depression may actually have an untreated thyroid problem. So they don't actually have depression in and of itself. They have depression due to their thyroid problem and treating the thyroid problem would treat the depression. So they're being treated with an antidepressant, their thyroid problem isn't being treated, and they're on the wrong medication and the wrong approach. So first of all, I have a very simple statement, which is it's your body and your rules. So we have to become able to advocate for ourselves. And I have articles and podcasts very specifically about that. Why being a good girl may be hazardous for your health, for example, is one of those episodes and one of those articles. It's really important to advocate for yourself because no one else will. If you're having trouble advocating for yourself, please read my chapter in Hormone Intelligence. So going back to your doctor and saying, look, I'm having a lot of symptoms. I understand that this may be a concern for you. Can you please explain why you don't think I need my TSH checked? Be very cordial. Sadly, too often we do have to manage and preempt the emotions and egos of our medical providers, but it's really, really important to be able to negotiate and read the audience, if you will. And then reminding them that thyroid problems can be inherited and they in fact can and that your grandmothers and your aunts had these is even more indication that you need them and that typically you don't struggle with depression in and of itself or even if you do you know it may be related to your thyroid so you really want that explored what do you do if your doctor is saying that your insurance won't cover it or that they won't do it well Insurance will pretty much always cover a TSH. So at the least, they should be willing to do that. And what they need to do is give you the appropriate diagnosis code. The ICD codes are nationally recognized diagnostic codes that if it shows up in your medical record, justifies why you're getting certain tests done. So fatigue, depression, weight gain, hair loss, dry skin, constipation, all of the things I've shared with you as symptoms of hypo or hyper are indicative of it being appropriate to get that test ordered for you and to have your insurance cover it. Now, if your doctor or care provider is saying they will only do the TSH, that is still a legitimate first test to get. And so if that's all you can get, work with it. If it's high or low, that will give you an answer. If it's in that range that is controversial, then that's where you have the heart-to-heart conversation with your doctor. You can link them to this podcast. Say, hey, could you please listen to this podcast? Can you please look at this section from this doctor's book? She's a Yale-trained MD. She really knows her stuff. Please, I'd really like you to consider this because I'm really uncomfortable and I'm really struggling. That's one way to get them to order the other labs if you're having trouble, you know, getting them to do it or bringing in a few of the articles that I've medically referenced or the names of those articles or looking to to multiple sources, right? You can go to Very Well Health or WebMD or a medical reference site like that, and that can help. And then if they're saying that their insurance won't cover it, that's when you need to actually either say, is there an ICD-10 code that would allow you to order this? Or 
you may have to contact your insurance company or ask if they have someone in their office who can contact their insurance company and find out how it can be addressed. If you're still having trouble getting it done, then you have to decide if it's something you feel like you can afford to pay out of pocket for. And these costs can wrap up into the hundreds and thousands of dollars. So if you can't afford to pay for it out of pocket, 90% of people with hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism have an autoimmune form. So if your TSH is high, you can safely assume it's Hashimoto's. If your TSH is very low and you have symptoms of hyperthyroidism, you can safely assume it's Graves' disease. And so that is a fair and safe assumption. And that is part of the assumption that medical doctors go on. And given that, you know, 90% of hypothyroidism is autoimmune, let's not run these extra labs, which cost the system money, cost the insurance and, and public health care system, you know, money. Let's just assume it's that. The thing is, they assume it's that, they put you on a thyroid medication and they drop it there. They don't do anything further to look at what the root causes of what might be going on that are causing you thyroid dysfunction. By now, you are probably feeling like, wow, this is so much more about thyroid than I ever realized there was to know about it. And I hope that you're a little bit geeked out and excited about that because it's such an important gland in our body for all of us, but especially as women, because it has so much to do with healthy hormone function, healthy brain function, healthy metabolism. Thyroid is a touch point in all the things pretty much that women come to see me for in my clinical practice. And it's also, as I mentioned, so commonly dismissed. So being a little bit of your own thyroid expert and advocate is really important. And again, remember, one in eight over our lifetime is going to experiences. So knowing that you can always come back to this, because this is pretty much universal information that you can return to and share with others at any time. So Stay tuned for part two, where we're going to deep dive into more things about thyroid antibodies, more things that you can do to support your thyroid health, and some of the integrative therapies that you might consider if you are struggling with a thyroid problem and want to take your healthcare back into your hands. We're going to do a deep dive into medication, when that's needed, what are the nuances of some of the different forms, and all the things you need to know. I hope you enjoyed this episode, that it helped you to feel seen and heard, and perhaps that it even brought you some aha moments. Please share the love by sharing this with a friend or someone in your life who could benefit from the kinds of things we talk about in this space. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at dr.avivaram and go to avivaram.com to join the conversation about the show on my blog. While you're there, you can sign up for my free newsletter with tips on taking back your health. Be sure to leave a rating and a review for the podcast and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every week. Can't wait to see you next time.